Ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we have a show after my own heart today. We are going to be talking about how women entrepreneurs can think bigger, build sustainable businesses, and change the world. And the book is called All In, and our guest today is the author, Stephanie Breedlove. Stephanie, did I pronounce that right? You absolutely did, and it's a pleasure to be on the show today. Oh, I am so delighted, and, and nothing makes me happier than talking about entrepreneurialism, and as I mentioned to you before we got on the air, uh, before we rebranded the show to be called the Game Changer Network, we were the Executive Girlfriends Group, and uh, that was a group that I built up uh, starting about eight eight and a half years ago. And, you know, we had women, uh, both entrepreneurs and corporate executives and lots of folks who were uh, celebrating the time in between successes, trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what they wanted to be. And uh, so I feel today like we're coming back to those roots a little bit. So I am so, so excited. So tell me a little bit about Stephanie. Uh, You know, where, where did you come from? You know, people don't just all of a sudden become authors. There's something that leads up to that. Uh, yes, and where I came from really as an author evolved over a long multi-decade journey. Um, Chicky, I've actually been an entrepreneur for most of my career, um, and I'm fortunate that I found my calling early in my working life. Uh, I, I've been an entrepreneur for over 25 years, but roll the timeline back a little bit and following graduate school for me in the late 1980s, I started my career in corporate America with Accenture, and after about six years, and actually a good career, Accenture is a great firm, um, I was married, and both my husband and I began to think that we might have more opportunity to hone our best talents as entrepreneurs rather than in the corporate world, and this was in a time in the early 90s when the word entrepreneurship was really not common, Um, but I was beginning to feel this calling to something new, uh, not really running from the corporate world, and add in during this time in my career that we had two sons 16 months apart while I was with Accenture, and so became fully committed to the lifestyle of the dual income couple, and we hired a nanny as our form of child care, and this was 1991, and from all of this came an odd but an original idea that I just couldn't get out of my head. Uh, in the decision to pay our nanny legally, which we did, and we we knew that most of America wasn't, we stepped into this nightmare process and thought, hmm, maybe we could help people with payroll and taxes and HR guidance when they hire in-home care, the stuff we'd been struggling with. Um, And we believed in the mid-90s that women would continue to go back to their careers and hire more nannies, and the elderly would age at home. And so we launched a test on a small scale, and um, it started to grow legs a little bit. And um, in 1995, I took the leap from corporate America into being the first full-time co-founder of Breed Love and Associates, which is now Care.com HomePay. And we were a grassroots, personally funded company offering payroll in tax and consultative services to families who had in-home care. So very much a niche business. And we were self-funded. We used our savings, my husband's corporate salary, to go from startup to the wonderful stage of getting to scale. And about three and a half years, we were growing. Three and a half years in, we were growing, and the business needed more strategic power. And my husband took the leap uh, as my co-founder at my side full-time. So fast forward then, we really put our heads down and had the opportunity to grow a business of scale and become an industry leader and um, assist tens of thousands of of families and caregivers over the years. And then in 2012, relatively recently, we were acquired by Care.com. 
And for those who don't know Care.com, they are the largest online marketplace for families to hire care. So oh, absolutely, and I, and I was a client. Uh, our oh. our producer Patty can tell you uh, she actually lived with my mother-in-law who lived across the street from us. And uh, while she provided an amazing uh, level of care for her as as she ended up getting sick, we had to have CNA-level nursing care, and we were fortunate enough to have bought a prudential policy for for her for um, that in-home care. And so we were a client of, of care.com. And, and, you know, so I, I am very, very familiar uh, so with the familiar. marketplace. And, yeah, and, and, of course, you know, we had to deal with, you know, the payroll taxes. And, you know, it's funny because I'm not sure how well they're marketing that particular capability because we ended up, uh, you know, kind of doing our own thing. And filing our own tax reports and stuff. So, so I'm I'm a little uh, flummoxed that they that they uh, spent the money to buy you at at a fairly nice premium for you and your husband, and that uh, that maybe they aren't um, doing as good a job as you guys did in marketing it. Well, that is excellent feedback because that yeah, is it was 2013. Tough. I mean, the time yes, the uh, time frame was uh, for the for the full. Well, actually, it was 2012 and 13. Yeah, we were acquired in late 12, so, you know, it takes time to get the synergies together. Um, and that's great feedback because the hardest thing, even as a part of care.com, uh, that a payroll and tax service for families does is to reach the family at the right time. Um, oh, yes. And it was a good match. It it did breathe, it breathed significant growth, um, I think, into both companies in the match. Right. Well, as you were telling your story, Stephanie, you know, you really began by by saying you weren't trying to escape corporate America, but really you answered the call that you felt uh, to be an entrepreneur. And I happened to come out of corporate life as well. You know, I spent uh, the better part of 15 years in the travel technology uh, business working for some of the largest companies that power well that now power online travel at the time I was there uh, online didn't really exist um, but I was the intrapreneur I I was the one who always got chosen to do those things and I didn't realize until much much later that I had the risk profile to actually go out and do it um, and and the thing that intrigues me uh, about your subtitle in the book, right, is this whole notion of thinking bigger. Because in the beginning, when you go out on your own, uh, it's really hard to think big. And I started, like many people do when they go out on their own, in a service business, right, doing consulting. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until much later when I decided to build a technology company when I realized I wasn't really an entrepreneur when I was a consultant. I became an entrepreneur when you have to pay payroll, you know, with Visa or MasterCard and, and you know, all of those things where all of a sudden the stakes are bigger. So uh, you've already told us a little bit about answering the call. So, so how do you think bigger? Because most people start into these businesses doing exactly what you and your husband did, bootstrapping, uh, funding it through uh, the actual work that, that you're doing in, in a full-time job, then leaving the job? You know, thinking big is uh, actually one of the core chapters of the book. We spend an entire chapter talking about thinking big. And in my opinion, it is, as you just said, it's a necessity. If you're going to grow a business and create sustainable value, and I, I have this phrase that I've always used in the business that gives us the wake-up call to force us to think about how we are thinking. And I, used to say to the, I would say to my team, okay, consider this. If you're not thinking big, you're thinking small. There's nothing in between. Right. Um, and, and here's the hard part, as you just said. Thinking big doesn't just happen. Uh, you actually have to work at it. Uh, even if you're a visionary, and a lot of entrepreneurs are visionaries, but if you're actually going to turn your vision into a reality, you have to work at it. And there really isn't a universal universal definition for how you think big. The definition is actually going to change in size and scope throughout your journey. So, for example, in our early days, 
thinking big, really big, was the decision to bring on a co-founder when we were um, a team of three. And that was a really big decision, um, particularly to bring on my husband, put all of our eggs in one basket. Right, and, right. And, that, and that is thinking big, you know, or the real thing. Well, and, and I'm right big. there right now of, of the decision, do I bring in, a, not just deciding to do it, but, but looking at all the pros and cons. And, and that, that is an enormous decision. And, you know, I'm, I certainly at this juncture in my life would not be bringing in my husband because part of our story is in my consulting business, he did work for me for uh, a decade. And he was doing the things that he hated, but he didn't want to pay somebody else to do, right? And now he's out, and he's actually the breadwinner for the first time in our 26 years of marriage, which, uh, you know, I just really celebrate that for him because he is so, so happy. Um, but for me, I'm I'm such a big thinker when I'm consulting with others, right? And And I am a visionary without a doubt. But for me, it's not so much just thinking big. It's actually behaving big. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. And we could, we could do a whole show on <laughs> the behaviors of thinking big. But if I had to boil it down to two critical elements that are the, the how, the how-tos, um, I've boiled it down to two that a lot of people skip. And the first one for me is you have got to have high-level planning, you have to have some structure of a business plan. You have to have ideas of your execution strategies. You have to have a budget, even if it's, you know, on a piece of paper. Um, and you have to work this in to give you the ability to think big. And many people don't take the time to do that. When you know your business and you know the risks and you know potentially the dollars behind it, you're much more comfortable thinking big. And the second one for me is not business-related. Uh, it's about confidence. I think you have to have confidence to think big. I think it's paramount. And the good news in, in my experience and research tracks to this is that confidence can be grown. It isn't a skill you are born with. Um, all of us have to work at it. So I think you have to have good planning and you have to be confident and thinking big will come. Right, right. And, I mean, you mentioned something else which uh, we were talking about kind of in passing when you were in corporate life, and that, that is having the help you need um, kind of outside the business box. Uh, for me, the big uh, turning point in the last three months was when I told my husband we had to get somebody to come in and clean the house and do the laundry because I couldn't build this business for the long term, right? Uh, and and for our retirement because this is our exit, you know, whether it's ten years from now or five years from now or whenever it is, um, that we had to have that. And even though he didn't want to pay, you know, whatever it was a week to do that, that that was really the first step. And then for me, the second step was bringing in one other person, not as not a uh, co-founder level, but to do all of the things that were taking so much of my time right. and, you know, happened to find somebody incredibly versatile that could help out on the radio shows that also is helping me in the technology business and, and can also help with some infrastructure technology stuff. So to me, that acting bigger came from taking very, very specific steps to stop doing all the things I can do, but I shouldn't do. Um, and I want before just, go ahead. I was just going to say you just hit on something that in all of the interviews and research I did for the book came up over and over and over again, particularly for women. In is that when finances are tight and you're trying to start a business on your own and you're not sure how to choose your priorities, our go-to is to say we will let go of childcare and we will let go of housekeeping and um, we can make things happen in between naps and picking up from school and loads right. of laundry and, and food that needs to be prepared. And the next thing we know, we have a small 
little lifestyle business on the side that is a complement to the craziness in the rest of your life. And right. I think the one of the most important decisions we made was to keep the expense of child care and to have someone come in. It wasn't regular. It was like every two weeks to kind of help out a little extra, you know, with right. the house cleaning and things like that because it was instrumental to giving you the power to grow the business. And that was Absolutely. a tough decision. It was a really yeah. tough decision, and it was, a, I think, one of the best that we made. Right. Well, and, and I'll give another little clue to our, our listeners that if uh, I just went through, we've got an 18-year-old daughter who just went to college. Uh, she is a freshman at the University of Warsaw in Poland. And uh, she... For, and then I've got a sophomore in high school, and he is about to be 17, but he doesn't want to get his driver's license. So here here we are. I had her for three years as the resident chauffeur, right? And I didn't have to worry about anything because she took her brother to school. Well, she goes off to college, and guess what? You know, mom's now the chauffeur again. But here's the cool thing is – and I, I hope we don't have anybody from Uber listening, but uh, my 17-year-old son has his own Uber account, and I told him I don't care if he gets a driver's license because whenever he needs to get from one place to another, kind of in the in-between stuff, like going from tennis practice to this and, and so that I don't have to be running all over town, he just takes Uber. And that gave me back probably an hour or two a day, and it's cheaper than car insurance for a 17-year-old. So that's my little tidbit for our listeners today. That is, that is a perfect example of recognizing the amount of drain that is in your day. Yes, absolutely. And I, I love that because, you know, chapter one of your book is to go all in. And you can't do that if you have 10 other things dragging you back out as you're trying to get in. That's right. That's exactly right. And, you know, you asked me early in the interview, and I got sidetracked with my history about how I became an author. We've been talking about my career as an entrepreneur. So how in the world did I decide to become an author, and why do I think that's valuable? And I'd love to share a little bit about that. Um, I actually didn't have a burning desire to be an author, but I wanted to tell a story about my journey as a woman in entrepreneurship. And when we went into business, I knew a lot of women running small businesses, and I had a lot of camaraderie. Um, and I expected a growing network kind of in every aspect of life as success came and life got easier financially. And, Chicky, that didn't happen. With each <laughs> level of growth, I felt more and more alone. Right. So oh, I totally when, get it. When we scaled and we moved past the million-dollar mark, then the $5 million market revenue, then past $10 million, I lost my cohorts. And when our company was acquired in 2012, we exited a couple years later, and I had some time to be thoughtful and restful about what was next. You mentioned Chapter 1, and I began to feel not just a responsibility, but really a calling to raise my voice and to step into the conversation to help women entrepreneurs see what they can be, to help them have role models because I started to do some research and found that one of the top three reasons women don't start a business or as you're talking about, find the guts to grow it is a lack of role models. And right. we're early in the evolution of women entrepreneurship and there just aren't many aren't that many of us with businesses of scale. Right. So all in got written because I wanted to step into the conversation as a role model and share not only my business strategies, but more importantly, kind of the transparent guidance of how it really went. Right, right. Well, and, and you're right. One of the reasons why I founded the Executive Girlfriends Group was so that there could be that environment for sharing really everything about our lives because one of the unique things uh, and having been an entrepreneur, uh, you know, again, now I, I've been out on my own for 21 years and I I have to make that happen of pulling those women into my life. And, and so the Executive Girlfriends Group kind of happened uh, in that we started having a call every Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock, and whoever could make it could make it. 
right? It wasn't this formal, you know, sign up for a mastermind group kind of thing. And then I decided about three months later, well, I needed to, you know, at least add a little bit of content to kind of hang it around. So we started interviewing authors and then having the first hour be uh, the interview with the author and then the people on the phone could talk to the authors, right? And And then, you know, if the author needed to go, we could just talk amongst ourselves. And, you know, that was one of the best times in my life. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just entrepreneurs. And I, I think there's incredible value uh, in in what you're saying here, uh, because uh, again, I, I have a lot of good role models because I inter- I've been interviewing authors for eight years. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, every Friday for me is like, you know, going to graduate school. And and my husband keeps asking me why I keep doing this because this this happens to be the one piece of my business that doesn't have any economic value to it. I don't monetize uh, this at all, and uh, and I just tell him, you know what, this is for me. <laughs> I do this show now for me, and I mean our listeners get get to benefit from it too. But I, I want to share just one other thing before we move on into the content of the book because one of the other subtitles of your book is about building a sustainable business. And I mentioned that I had had my consulting firm for 20 years. And what I had to come to Jesus about almost 10 years ago now was that that was not a sustainable business. And I had grown it to a very large number. I had, you know, we had built LasVegas.com for a couple of major casino companies. And, and, you know, I had done work for Intel and American Express. And I mean, I had this amazing client list. But if I ever stopped for a month or a day or a week, the business came to a crawl, right? And so that's why I decided to get into the travel technology business where I could literally make money while I slept and build a sustainable business that also happens to have a component of it, which is your third piece of the equation, which is changing the world. And, you know, our mantra of our business is that we change the world one trip at a time because we donate to our clients' charity of choice 10% of our revenues from the sale of travel using our little widget project. So mm-hmm. anyway, you know, I mean, this couldn't be more timely for me to talk through <laughs> this. And and so going all in, I mean, I will tell you, I am all in. And like, if you could do that times seven, you know, that's me, right? And and I see opportunity everywhere, but keep staying focused, right, is really my challenge. So chapter two of your book is about seeing opportunity. And then, then I, I want to kind of knit this together uh, with chapter three, which is about focus. And in this particular case, focusing on the money, not because money is important, but because it is the fuel for this particular engine. Right, right. Um, you're, you're exactly right. I, I, I opened the book with just my own heartfelt discussion of what it means to be all in and, and, and the value of finding your best talents when you do go all in. And then we talk about seeing opportunity because there's opportunity and failure um, in everything. And my favorite concept is, is viewing life, whether it's business or uh, personal life, um, as a glass that is half full to never half empty. Right. And, and in, chapter, in, in chapter two, I'll share this without being a spoiler, um, I share a really detailed example as I was moving from proof of concept in the business, as you were talking about starting a new technology company, uh, to the opportunity and the money and the effort to scale it. And it was in a time when very influential people in my life saw the glasses half empty. And I had to make a decision to see the glass as half full, and not blindly, you know, but with, with good analysis and evaluation and trust in my gut. And I tell that because I think that's what led me to title Chapter 3, Focus on the Money, because you're exactly right, Chicky. Life is not about the money, but focusing on the tough stuff, which money's at the top of the list of tough stuff, is what fuels you right. to take your endeavor where you want to go. And it's funny that you landed your 
your question with uh, Chapter 3, and I, I would love to share a little bit in more detail on this one. This is a tough talk chapter for those who read the book. Um, and I say that because financial knowledge and accountability is a critical part of a founder's job. And too many entrepreneurs, they don't have the appropriate level of financial knowledge or skill to shepherd their endeavor successfully. And you know what? That's okay. That is actually okay. What's not okay is doing that hard work to gain the working knowledge, to be able to take your business where it's capable of going, to getting it to the point where you can hire outside resources or even inside resources to complement your working knowledge and bring that depth. Um, and I share that because I, in my business, had the opportunity to work with hundreds of entrepreneurs with small businesses of 10 people or less. And, you know, day in and day out, year in and year out, this was a core factor that held them back, and it, and it didn't have to be. And right. I, I, will say, I will say this. You can tell from the business that I started and my background that I'm a financially oriented person. So <laughs> yes. our, our listeners may be saying, hmm, easy for you to say, Stephanie, but I'll share an example. When we launched, we were, as I shared, we were self-funded and bootstrapping and just put the shoe on the other foot. And I knew virtually nothing about building marketing materials or branding or website content and flow or how to put together a quality sales process. Right. And I had to kind of own it all and learn. And and I have to tell you that as soon as we could afford to bring on expertise to help in those areas of weaknesses, we did. And it's no different with the financial side of things. Right, right. Well, it's interesting. I, I just finished writing uh, my first uh, allegorical business novel, which you know I've been wanting to write for uh, almost ten years now, and the story is about an early stage uh, technology company that finally takes in private equity money. And one of the things, of course, that happens is they put their own CFO in, right? And and then all of the leadership kind of get exposed because they don't understand uh, the nuance of finance. And, uh, but, but the way that the book plays out is that each one of the executives after a, 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 an offsite meeting that goes horribly wrong, they all end up going home or back to their office or, you know, wherever they're going. And they all happen to listen to one of my radio shows. And, and so, you know, you've got the fiction of the company in the book and the real life interviews with real life authors. And so the one author that uh, they all list, or well, that one of them listens to and then shares the book with everybody else is a, a book called uh, Accounting for the Number Phobic. So if you're listening to this show uh, after you read All In, if if money is a weakness for you, I highly recommend uh, Accounting for the Number Phobic by, by Don Fotopoulos. And, and in the book, it, it's all about getting them all ready to take the company public, right? So they, they had to step up their game. So so once you have, have uh, filled that weakness, and again, whether it's with, you know, hiring the right staff internally who is good at those things that you're not good at, or finding the right uh, organization to outsource those things to, which, you know, quite frankly, uh, is often a good solution when you don't have something that needs everyday attention. Then you do have to take those small steps before you can begin. Uh, and again, I, I don't think it's just thinking big, but acting big. So what are some of those other small steps? Yes, I uh, I have a chapter in the book called Take Small Steps. And Chicky, we talked about thinking big. And the small steps for me are how you execute thinking big. You know, we can dream and we can think all day long, but how do we put them into action? Mm-hmm. Um, and I am such a believer in this that I, I call myself from the, the church of small steps. And I'll give you some examples. Um, uh, and I'll use a small example to start with rather than something big and, and grandiose. Um, if you know, you are struggling to hire your first employee or to create efficiency in organization. 
um, for your first few employees so that they can put a lot of engine behind driving your business forward, you need to take small steps to put systems in place, put processes in place. Right. Um, step one, train them. Come up with a training program that you know will launch them into your business working and doing as you would. Uh, second is put steps into place in which you meet and review and continue to teach them. Third is to put standards in place that set the expectations that they have to follow. And before you know it, in this example, you have a team of one or two or three people who are executing as you did before you hired them. They're creating efficiency. Now they have bandwidth to do even new things. And that's a perfect example of small steps. And and chicky, small steps is hard stuff. You know, you have to get in the trenches and go one step at a time. And um, not everybody is doing it, but it is a recipe for success. Absolutely. And, you know, and again, when I finally, and it's not that I didn't realize it before, but I I think I just wasn't ready. And, And part of that is because this usually calls for money. It calls for capital. And in my particular case, I have, uh, because I can always fall back on consulting, um, you know, to fund my business through that, you know, I mm-hmm. had to take a couple of months off from my my new business because I got a consulting engagement uh, with a major uh, travel wholesaler. And, you know, it took me away, but it gave me the financial cushion to go ahead and hire uh, some, you know, this first person that I brought on board. And today we are training a new salesperson. And we tried uh, hiring a salesperson last month and it didn't go quite as well as I had hoped. And uh, so now I learned that uh, I'm not going to pay a salesperson a salary. I'm going to have them work as an affiliate with us for a month. And if they feel like it's a good fit, then I will hire them. So I'm learning how to there take smarter small steps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to jump ahead and, and because we have already touched uh, on the concept of thinking big, which is your chapter five. Um, one of the ways that I believe that you can think big is through partnerships. And you talk in Chapter 6 about believing in the power of partnership. And, and that's a huge part of not only what I do but of who I am because even back when I worked for American Airlines in the Sabre division, I was managing director of, of joint ventures, right? And so joint ventures was how you got to do something bigger than what you could do by yourself, right? And so, so I absolutely believe in this. So put it in context for us, for entrepreneurs. Yes, um, Chicky, you're right. I turned the second half of the book from some of these hardcore um, business concepts and advice of how to go well and think big and take small steps to what I call the softer concepts that really are at the center of creating success as entrepreneurs. And I open this part of the book with um, a chapter called Believe in the Power of Partnership. And there is a common belief in entrepreneurship that we are all lone rangers. Uh, And and I think a lot of people who start businesses, they have the confidence and the guts um, to take the leap and jump out on their own. And you need that. But the reality is to really grow the business um, and even the personal life that you want, you have to make a shift into believing in the power of partnership and doing the work to execute against that. And I, I share some stories uh, personally and even in business life where I had even as much as a year in my business where we were growing staff, we were growing departments, and I was not relinquishing the responsibilities that they were ready and hungry for um, in order to go to work at my side as my partner to help take the company to the next level. And you realize that there is extreme pain in trying to do everything yourself um, or being that sole lone ranger. And when you engage team, it takes a lot of work. You've got to compromise. Um, You've got to teach them. You've got to work collaboratively. Um, But when you do, I'll quote Margaret Heffernan, who's an an author and um, a – Uh, business culture expert 
it's where good ideas become great. Um, and it and it applies at home as well. I mean, I'm speaking to the women who might be listening, but how many times have you had a family event at your house and you stayed up till two in the morning doing everything yourself right. when your family probably would have helped you and half the things you tried to get done really didn't need to be done anyway. So for me, the power of partnership is not just about partnering with a business development partner or to get a merger done um, or um, to to grow your company. It's kind of the fabric of how you live your life that, you know, two heads are better than one. And I believe it grows you and your success exponentially. Right. Right. No, and I'm I'm right with you on that front. And, you know, I'll tell you one, one of my challenges, um, because I do believe in the power of partnership, um, I, I'm actually doing some things that, that are unconventional. And uh, I've got advisors who are telling me that, uh, you know, one particular decision, which has to do with how I am getting our technology built, um, that if we don't have a, a technical co-founder, um, you know, I can't believe that I'm this special snowflake that isn't going to melt in the sun, right? That, right? that the only way to get things done, uh, you know, is, is having that technical co-founder. And, and and quite frankly, I'm just enough of a rebel that I want to prove him wrong, right? Because I can't find one person that has all the skill sets that I need because our company uh, doesn't just use technology. We are a technology company. So we're building products. So I need CIO. I need CTO. I need architect. I need front-end developer. I need UX expert. You know, I mean, I need all those things. And you can't find that embodied in a single individual. You need the Um, whole team. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, I can't afford a full team yet. So, you know, I have worked with a lot of outsourcers and, and, you know, so I'm working through that. But one of the challenges, and, you know, this is one of the things you you have already referred to, uh, which you talk about in Chapter 7, which which is getting integrated and and really streamlining processes and procedures and infrastructure and, you know, all of that that we need to be successful. And sometimes if you can't afford – the CIO CTO role, even something as simple as making sure that your your emails get into your Salesforce automation system. And by the way, do you even have a Salesforce automation tool? Because you you know when you looked at Salesforce, you saw the price and got scared away. But there are plenty of products and services out there that allow you to be really super efficient from the beginning of contacting somebody all the way through to recording. Um, you know, you don't have to have a lot of money to throw at that initially. But if you do it when you're bootstrapping and, and can start there, it's way easier when you do have money to have that integrated properly on the back end. Oh, Chicky, that is such a great comment, uh, not only of power of small steps, but, you know, of partnership and integration. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are reading the media and say, you know, listen, I've got to launch this multi-million dollar technology platform and without that, I don't exist. And for some companies, that may be true. Mm-hmm. But largely, if you just modified your concept of thinking big and maybe you took six months to a year of actually putting things in place that will allow you to grow at a slower pace, allow you to build that infrastructure, allow you to build some power that get you one step closer to being able to invest in technology, that that's the right next step. You know, like, you know, a contract with Salesforce, as you just said, and then, you know, automating and streamlining the data that flows into Salesforce. And that's step one. And that takes you down the road. Uh, You don't have to have that giant leap right away. That's a really good point. Right. And there are plenty of alternatives. One of the good things that's happening right now in technology is if if you look at the top dog in almost any field – there are a hundred wannabes, right? And so finding those tools that are at least well-funded enough that you know that they're going to be around in six months. Uh, and, and we settled on on one tool set, and then we, we started looking at who they integrate with. 
and and found some really cool tools that you can look at a, a prospect in LinkedIn and and because of this little plugin on your browser you can actually import it directly into your your sales automation system and then we happen to have a process where people can build these travel widgets for themselves and the email address that I decided to give to our technology company to have the confirmation actually is our our email address over on the sales automation side so I mean we've done this absolutely on the cheap, you know, for almost nothing. But now we've created the infrastructure that, like I said, when we do have money, we're going to be able to do it right. So the next chapter, you know, and we've kind of alluded to this as we talk about the small steps and, and partnership and, and even the integration thing, is is really overcoming obstacles. And, you know, I'm sure that this could be a full one-hour call all by itself yes. but uh i, I and I'd, I'd like because we are running uh short on time to kind of combine this one with the next one which is pace yourself and and being realistic because there are always problems to solve and and there are things that you have to overcome uh but at the same time you really have to be kind to yourself and realize that everything can't get done today absolutely and and the two concepts do go hand in hand you know, entrepreneurship is filled with obstacles. It's the nature of the beast. And one of the things I do address directly in the chapter about obstacles is that in today's current evolution, women do face more obstacles than men because we're early in the evolution. And mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time in the chapter talking about um, finding the right level of partnership, the right level of pace, the right level of steps um, that allow you to either conquer, go around, or pivot and find a different direction in your quest to eliminate your obstacles. And the story you just told about Salesforce and your step, I mean, it's a perfect example of taking the right steps towards eliminating an obstacle, which is you don't have the funding right now to do the big system, but you're not going to let that stop you. Right. And I will say about PACE, it's not talked about in business much today. Um, and we tend to think the faster the better. But I'll sum up my point in the chapter about pacing yourself, which is that if you can find a pace in which you know you are producing quality over quantity, right. you, you will go there, um, wherever there is, with great success. Right. Well, and the other thing about pace, and and uh, you know, I, I don't know how much you read about me, but I'm 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 a very faith-based uh, entrepreneur in in right. that I really trust that uh, you know every day of my life is ordered, and that that there is there is a good, a better, and a best way to behave each day, right? And I want to be in that mm -hmm. that best place, and and uh, you know the pace. Uh, is one thing that I know that going fast isn't always going best, and but no, nor is going too slow. I was trying to explain to my son the other day that you know when the Israelites left Egypt, and you know if if they had really just kind of set their sights on on Jerusalem, and and walked it, it maybe would have been 18 days, right? But instead it was 40 years because they made a lot of bad choices along the way. And so I know I don't want the 40-year pace, and probably the 18-day pace is, is a little crazy too. But being kind to myself at this particular juncture, that this is going slower than I wanted, but I think we're going to end up with a much better result, right? And, exactly. And is, yeah. I like and, and, mm -hmm, Go ahead. I was just going to say, I like to use, to add to the analogy, Aesop's fable, the tortoise and the hare. The yeah. tortoise looks so terribly slow, but he takes very measured, calculated, well-thought-out steps and crosses the finish line first. Right. Absolutely. And and so, you know, in, in building the company up, and, and again, being all in, because you have to be, there's, there's no halfway with being an entrepreneur. I mean, you may work half time but that half time is uh probably more hours than most people work full time and and you know seeing that opportunity and and focusing uh really on the economics of what does success look like because you have to be 
replicating that, and you have to understand and, and keep track of everything and make sure that you are taking small steps but still thinking big as you're going and mm-hmm. and knowing that you can't do everything alone. And so that power of partnership is so important and and begin even in the early stages to get integrated and, and you know that can help you overcome some obstacles within the business. And, and then pacing yourself and being kind to yourself. But I love Chapter 10 because as you do begin bringing in other people, you have a choice of, of having them be just employees or really helping them understand what being an owner is all about. And whether you have a, a structure that allows you to give equity you know, to people who come in or you uh, just have a profit-sharing environment where everybody can benefit from the success. Creating this culture, and you call it creating a company of owners, but I think it really is a culture oh, of ownership right. is yeah. so important. It, it, it is. And in, in in Chapter 10, as I'm getting ready to close the book, I got the sense, if I were a reader, um, that I've told a ton of stories of how specific things went along the way, but I didn't really sew together some of those core tenets of how in the world do we really create the great success. And I wanted to share that it was all born out of a focus on creating, as you said, Chicky, the a culture that drives everything else in the business. Um, there's a recent uh, Gallup study that's come out that shows that 28% of American workers are engaged and the rest are either simply going through the motions or they're hurting your company. And if you can focus on passion and mentorship and growing talents and skills as a part of the way you actually do business, I've said this before, but it's where good ideas become great and all of a sudden you're scaling and your value is growing, going back to creating um, a sustainable business, and you have these passionate people who believe sometimes even more strongly than you do in where you're going and the difference you're making in the world. And it translates into those tangible successes in the size of the company and clients served and revenue and profit and so on. And it becomes a cycle of win at every level. Right, right. And... So just to bring bring all of this to a close, uh, you know, I'd like you to talk just briefly about the kind of the final part of the equation. It happens to also be the last chapter of the book, but but the piece about changing the world and and leaving a legacy and and really making a difference. Yeah, I close the book with a chapter called "Make a Difference," and the main reason that I did is that I do think that. All of us, every one of us wants to know that we're making a difference in this world and and what does that really mean? And I don't have, you know, the definition. I have not been able to coin the phrase. But what I do share is that I've learned over the last 25 years in having the opportunity to answer a calling that really is who I'm supposed to be, that I found that making a difference in the world is as simple as fully being who you are called to be, whoever that may be. For me, it's an entrepreneur. And when you get to develop your best, it leads to difference-making things in your life and in the lives of the people around you. And it's really kind of that simple. And it comes full circle back to my title of being all in. You have the right. gut to be all in, to go where you think you're supposed to go and exercise your best talents. And all of a sudden, it leads you to start making a difference that it doesn't just feel good, but you can see it. And I'll use myself as an example. I really do believe that I was meant to be an entrepreneur and have taken such great joy in creating jobs and servicing clients with a pain point that I think is a value. And now I'm on a journey to try to help women behind me. And I actually think that I'm meant to make this difference more than I am to be an entrepreneur. And it's, I don't think we have to feed the hungry, you know, or raise hundreds of millions of dollars. 
um, in order to know that we're making a really big difference. And that's the point of the final chapter. Well, I love that. And, you know, it it reminds me of, of throwing the stone in the pond, right? And, and not even being able to see where those ripples hit. And so, so maybe it is being the mother or, you talked about having a nanny. I mean, we we did the same thing. I brought a nanny uh, in through an au pair program where we brought her from Peru uh, and ended up working things out so that we could sponsor her as a student and keep her. And, I mean, we changed her life. We changed our life. We changed our kid's life. She now teaches at my kid's school uh, because we put her through, you know, USF. And so – uh, all of this are, are the ripples that that come off of the decisions that we make. And again, whether it's to build a company, to be an entrepreneur, to listen to that that voice, um, you know, it's just an amazing opportunity. And Stephanie, thank you so so much. We went a little bit longer than we had planned, but I wouldn't have done it any differently. So, uh, for those of you who have been listening, thank you for uh, for hanging in there with us. Stephanie, if folks would like to have you speak to their group or would like to consult with you about how they can be a more effective uh, entrepreneur, how can they get in touch with you and what's the best way to follow you? That is very easy. Um, I have a website for exactly that purpose. It's stephaniebreedlove.com. You can follow my regular content. I am uh, offering content regularly in addition to the book. Um, And there's information on speaking. There's also information um, on other resources and how to engage with me. If you want to follow me on social media, my handle is at BreedLoveSteph. Wonderful. Well, Stephanie, I hope that you have an amazing weekend. I hope it's a little bit warmer there. <laughs> We're actually having a cold day here in Tampa, Florida. It's not not uh, usual for us, but I know in, in Austin, Texas, you guys have pretty mild weather most days. Yes, we do. Well, great. Well, I, I so appreciate your time again, and, and the book, again, is all in How Women Entrepreneurs Can Think Bigger, Build Sustainable Businesses, and Change the World. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Thank you, Chickie. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald.